can't check your six. It's kind of like, you know, taking a screwdriver to a gunfight. What's happening? Just like old Tom, Tom. Welcome to Steve at See It All. I'm Hans. I'm Aaron. I'm Zach, I guess. And this is <laughs> one of the worst ideas the three of us have ever had. One of. Tough competition, one but of. not the... Definitely not the worst. Probably one of. Uh, we've decided that we're going to watch all of Steven Seagal's filmography over the uh, duration of this year. And how many films we... is that, Hans? Huh? How many films is that? 50. 50 movies. And yeah, we get the last two weeks coming. of December off. <laughs> I don't know. He might have a new one out by then. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. <laughs> and the whole thing is we watch them one per week and review them. There's some uh, extra credits mixed in there uh of some terrible things that he has also been in like the saturday night live episode that he hosted that's for the patreon <laughs> oh there we go he already got it figured out <laughs> by the way i did not watch that yet i have not seen that so i saw the first five minutes and just thought i don't know if i can do this it's it's Respect. pretty spectacular anyway we're getting all right so who, we're getting way off track immediately who would like to intro and try to recap the synopsis of episode one above the laws to the best of their abilities you Oh, me? Oh, yeah. No, go for it. Oh, this is the one that I struggled with the most. Okay, so <laughs> I the this year was like the easiest. The year is 1988. Um, I don't actually know if that's the same year for the movie and the release of the movie. Okay, so 1988 above. You're the just law reading releases. your letterbox review. Uh, am I? Oh no, the year is 1987. Out, no, in my letterbox review, the year is 1987. Well, I don't <laughs> even know who to trust. Okay, I'll, I'll blindfold myself so you know I'm not reading my letterbox review. Um. Steven Seagal is, oh, is he Nico in this one? Oh, what's his, Nico Toscani. Yep. He is recruited into the CIA because he's so good at flipping people in his own Aikido dojo, surprisingly accurately mirroring his real life experience getting into Hollywood until he learns that the stuff the CIA, the CIA does bad stuff sometimes. So he goes and becomes a cop. <laughs> um i'm gonna be honest it's been three weeks at this point um he becomes a cop but he learns that there are people who are operating above the law so in order to stop them he also operates above the law this was not the one where he recorded the part that was the next one. Oh, this is such a bad plot description he's very lanky and wears a very weird tank top and commits multiple heinous acts of violence and wikipedia can fill in the rest <laughs> no, so my my biggest problem with this movie of of all of the other problems about how terrible of a film it is the by far and away the worst thing about it was that the entire movie i was led to believe that steven seagal had to rise above the law to like fix the situation presented in the movie when at the very end of the movie it's revealed that he hates people who think they're above the law so okay but he himself many times throughout the movie <laughs> i definitely thought I thought he was the one who is above the law, like a who watches oh, the watchers kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. No. For the first like 89 minutes of this film, you're led to believe yep. that it is quite yep. literally Steven Seagal is above the law. And that's a good thing. Don't criticize. Like that is yeah, unequivocally good. He is good. the watcher who watches the watchers. Like I thought that was the whole point of the movie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Okay, nope. so I do want I want to tell a funny anecdote about okay. this film. Okay. So I had watched uh, Above the Law and Hard to Kill already 
when this happened. So the first two Steven Seagal movies. I went over to my parents' house. It was my day off. I go and hang out with them because they're only half an hour from here. Uh, so I go and hang out with them every now and again. Mom likes it. Uh, Good for her. And I love them very much. So She'll love uh, I went over there and I said, okay, yeah, my friends, Zach and Hans, they have me on like this weird curriculum thing. It's going to be really funny. And I said, I told my dad, I am watching one a week, every single Steven Seagal film. And my my dad goes, above the law, blam, blam, and starts making like gun noises. He's like, that movie's awesome. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, I realized something very important about this movie. My dad was 17 when this movie came out. Mm, Oh, I guess that would make a difference. (laughs) So, like, thinking back, that made me, like, change how I watch this movie. Really? Because I'm just thinking, would a 17-year-old boy love this? Mm, And the answer at every moment is yes. Okay. And so, wait, you watched it and then he said this? Or he said this and then you watched it? Or you watched it? I watched it and then he said this. And I said, no, that movie sucks. And he's like, what are you talking about? I loved it. (laughs) Saw it in theaters. And I'm like, well, if you were a 17-year-old boy living in the Midwest in the 1980s, would this be, like, one of the coolest things you've ever seen? And, like, probably. I think this is, like, a high school boy's idea of what an action star is. You know, and, like, what cops probably, do. That's probably true. I'll give him that. Especially in 1987-88. Yeah. So do we need a dad rating on this one? What would he <laughs> give it on Letterboxd, do you think? My dad gave it, like, six out of five stars. He loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the target audience he's playing to. Yeah. Yes. All right. Like he just had a lot of fun with it. Like there are explosions and there's a lot of like a lot of gunshots. There are a lot of gunshots that don't hit anything. <laughs> I put I put in my review of this movie the amount of people that are like holding a rifle under their armpit and spraying <laughs> bullets back and forth wildly like it's a freaking cartoon and and no, nobody hits anybody in the entire movie. No. Okay, okay. Well, so the, the way I want to go, I want to go through this movie kind of okay. like, as far okay. as you can, yeah, like, sequentially, because okay. I think the opening monologue is kind of, in my mind, a synthesis so far of, like, everything I've seen from Seagal. Mm, it, so, it, like, he the opening monologue the and montage is of a guy who's so good at Aikido <laughs> that... <laughs> the CIA hires him to be a super special operative without knowing anything else about him. They just they approach him and ask him to be a super secret government agent to like do extraction missions in Vietnam on behalf of the American government because he's so good at Aikido. <laughs> I mean, and you have to wonder, like this is obviously pretty similar, like you know, we touched on to his real life. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder though, you hear the uh the story that was Seagal is not only that he was he did Aikido in front of a bunch of Warner Brothers executives and yeah. they gave him a job, but that's specifically I'm not gonna know whose name it was, but this guy in the studio, we can look this up, um, said, you know, I can make anybody a star. I can make this stunt coordinator in my movie a star. And that was Steven Seagal. And he just, like, made him a star yep. basically on a bet. So I do kind of wonder if maybe in, like, you know, the director's cut and the deleted scenes, you have, like, one of the CIA dudes that are, like, getting drunk in the bar. And they're like, yo, I saw this guy. He's, like, doing all these funny flips and stuff. Like, we can make him a secret <laughs> agent. Like, we could make, we could recruit him into the CIA. It's that easy. And, like, the first three minutes of the movie is just Steven Seagal, like, flipping people. Yeah. It's just a montage of him just throwing people. Throwing people. Well, it's not really him throwing people so much as it is them throwing themselves. Well, 
if we're being fair, sure. But we, we have to give him as much credit as we can. Do we? Because Do we really? That's, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think he deserves that much credit. No, but at least we can, within the fiction, he is throwing people around for like the first few minutes. <laughs> um, okay, so we have the opening montage where he sets out the Seagal formula. Yeah. At, you know, quite effectively. Yeah. Like what he does there is what Seagal does yes. in every movie. Yeah, I don't um, think so far, in the oeuvre, he has not moved oeuvre. past that. No, definitely not. No. Um, definitely his early career is defined by this. So doing Aikido enough to impress people, mm-hmm. um, a distrust of, you know, working within, like, you know, basically three the three-letter agencies, but having a distrust and having to work against them. Um, and then randomly, yeah. kind of, w- without jumping ahead, each movie kind of has, like, a, a pet cause. Yes. Like, some movie will be, like, the environment. Some mm-hmm. movie will be, like, you know, family neighborhood values. Some movie will be, like, you know, yeah. animal welfare. Like, randomly, he has, like, one thing that he kind of basically <laughs> turns to the audience and says, hey. Yeah. Weirdly, <laughs> the same theme follows with him hosting SNL <laughs> with a literal turn to the well, audience. Hey, that's for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, it should be so said, think... if uh, if there is anybody listening to this, it should be said that we decided to record these after we were four movies in. After these, will will actually be a little more up to date and less forgetting details. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, no, no, no. no, no. no. <laughs> so here's don't don't write checks your body can't catch. Here's on. something else I want to say. Here's something else I want to say. I think the plots to these movies are as greasy as Steven Seagal's ponytail, and they just slide <laughs> over my brain. <laughs> Mm, that, and I see that that we should just take that little snippet right out because that's beautifully said. Like, like you could sit in front of me and then just tell me the plot to Above the Law, and at the end of it, if you did it in like three sentences, at the end I would wonder what you said. I like yeah, they're so bog standard. Well, I wouldn't nothing interest, no twists, nothing interesting. About I wouldn't them. say they that. do. Like, all the was them. A, was very convoluted. Like there were a lot of different players for no reason in the beginning of this one, right? Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. It's a very simple story, but it's all of a sudden it's like you have. The CIA and people in Vietnamese internment camps, and then all of a sudden the Salvadorian drug lords. Like there are like five different countries involved <laughs> in what is the dumbest plot you've ever heard of. So it just feels convoluted. Yeah, no. So I said in my review, the guns are the least interesting part of this film. The most interesting is the karate. What is most confusing in the dialogue? I would promise it were written by an AI if it weren't for the fact that those weren't invented yet. <laughs> right, because it, it's just insert uh salvadorian drug lords okay insert uh you know vietnamese soldiers like this was the only one that was it wasn't written by him it's a story by him yeah Yeah, so he i'm pretty sure he just rambled for a bit he said it and then i fight then i fight the salvadorians and they said okay steven like i'm even looking at like the plot synopsis on wikipedia and i i can't really follow it No, it's just person goes here and does. We the, haven't person even talked about the priest thing. Person. Oh, I and forgot like, about oh, the so people actually, living in the basement of the church. Like, that was the whole. So other, no, so that was the let, whole let, other thing was that they couldn't. What was it like? They couldn't kill the the priest because they didn't know who he had told about something that they had done. Yeah. So apparently, mm, okay, okay, it was really so wild. A, the, a major plot point in the movie is that apparently one somebody from the operation felt bad. And went to confession. <laughs> That's what it was. And confessed their involvement in this thing. And so one of the priests heard about this whole thing. But he heard about it in confession. And for those who don't know, 
Anything you say in confession is totally secret. Those, they don't tell anybody. Which, um, to be fair, I'm not going to lie, that's actually a pretty decent like plot elements yeah uh, that's a pretty decent way of having here's information that needs to get yes. the information i will give them credit for that fair enough yeah yeah it, it, that is cool um there was uh, and it actually it ties into other elements it ties into like other characters that are going to this church and you know that that by itself in isolation I will give yeah except alfred hitchcock did it way better in 1953 <laughs> <laughs> well okay i didn't say it was original i didn't say this is the only one who ever did this no um there's an excellent movie about this exact problem. It's called I Confess. It's by Alfred Hitchcock. It's excellent. But anyway. Well, okay. This is not season two Hitchcock hour. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> that would actually be a really fun season. But so, yeah, they're the drug gang, which is also the CIA, try, still trying to figure out their relationship, has to like track down this priest who is secretly hiding illegal immigrants in the basement of the church, but is also celebrating mass publicly and hearing confessions. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't. Is he a, is he secretly there? Is he openly there? I don't know. But it's one of those open secrets where, like, yeah. every per, every character in the movie seems to know that this is happening, but it's still like a revelation that it's happening. That's, yeah. So, are there any other major? Plot there was the whole thing with the like. Wasn't there C four? There was C four involved, and he knew the smell of it. They find C four. Yeah, he can smell. But C4. plastic explosives. I I am certainly no expert, but as to to my knowledge, plastic explosives do not have a a smell. I don't know. Maybe they do. It it, it seemed weird. I would agree. It seems weird. Who was yes. the woman who planted the C four in the church? There was a lady. There was. I I know she like leaves the bag behind, and he looks suspicious. He very much does like a, if you see something, say something, but doesn't say something. Um, but I can't recall. I, I you know this is. I think the the best part of that by far was that they knew which which priest it was that they had to assassinate because everybody knew his name. Like they were going after this guy. They were trying to find this one specific right. person. And this chick walks in with a bomb and bombs the church when the wrong priest is there, like leading mass. It's not like she wouldn't have known yeah. that it's not the right guy. It's like right at well, the end you of mass. bring the bomb there and you're like, oh, I had have to come back a whole other week. That's <laughs> just there are like five priests in this I parish. Heard because it's chicago in the 1980s so there are like five priests in every parish and they have no idea which priest is going to be celebrating mass that day and they just blow the place up and they're like you call i guess (laughs) it's about sending a message it's like the joker no it was about specifically capturing this one specific (laughs) priest (laughs) well for oh you know she's just paid by the you know she's paid by project not by the hour so she's just get this done Mm -hmm. Um, although okay so i will say uh-huh. moving slightly forward ahead in the plot yes this movie does get a point from me this point is worth nothing but it does get a point from me because he is i'm sorry i'm actually kind of being weirdly you really are this movie I you mean, were not this like, positive when we first watched i did not like no. this movie no. no it was not good but i, I feel like i need to yet. kind of speak for its few things that i like um a slight a small points because he is asked to turn in his badge and his gun and any cop yes. movie where they're asked to turn in their badge and a gun does get a points yes <laughs> i don't know why he was not arrested on the spot but okay he should have been arrested for a lot of the things he did in this movie and the next one and the next one he just kind of rampaged through the downtown but he did get turned in his badge and his gun and i while we were watching hans can attest to this i did say like at some point he's got to turn his badge and gun like i was waiting for that to happen that's what happens so in cop I movies. I was pretty excited when it did happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. they didn't make a cop movie, which I am. Funny enough, that appreciate. also happens in the SNL skit. 
Well, like I referred to in my Letterboxd review, I referred to Above the Law as a bog standard cop movie, which I which I un- think it which is unfortunately cursed with Steven Seagal's presence. I think it is a bog standard cop movie. Well, it's a bog standard cop movie with like a random Makito montage at the beginning. Yeah, so it is a Steven like, Seagal bog standard cop movie. They try to, I think. Oh, we haven't gotten through the whole plot yet. How should how what what happens afterward? What was the next after the church bombing? They captured. They do end up capturing the right priest. They and they interrogate him. They they give him. But they interrogate him like in the same building where they're about to assassinate yeah. a senator. That I forgot yeah. about. The oh yeah, there's that a whole assassination whole, attempt to get the, against the senator, the and they confessed to the guy was yeah, that they were going to assassinate a senator, <laughs> but they couldn't yes. pull the trigger on the senator. They couldn't actually go through with it until they knew that the priest hadn't told anyone else about it. That's yeah. why it was so convoluted. Yeah. And also because then random, like, three different drug gangs are involved true. for some other reason. <laughs> yeah. Who also well, have, because, like, secret like, CIA backing. Was it that the... Were people in the CIA profiting from the yeah. drug yes. ring? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, now that you say that, I do remember that. Okay. Yeah, yeah but they're, like, so interrogating deep. the priest in, like, the next room, in, like, the back room behind the stage where the senator is giving his speech and they're about to assassinate him. <laughs> like it's all about efficiency why would they not be doing this across town <laughs> like i mean but then you'd have to take like the subway or something like I yeah it's all about efficiency there's also you know kind of how when you're reading i'm gonna you know just because i finished reading the lord of the Rings series recently i'm gonna compare this to high fantasy you know in like a good fantasy series you have like a map of the world and you know exactly where you are and how long it takes characters to get there and yeah. that has material impact on the story yes versus like the characters just teleporting around yeah i don't know the geography of this church they kidnapped him from to the off this building where they are going to assassinate the center like i there is no image of chicago map in no, every this movie and honestly i there's a zero percent chance it would hold up to any kind of scrutiny if they tried to no. have a reasonable map of this place no every location is an island it, it's just it's seen here then seen here yep. and that's there's nothing in between no no um okay are there any other major plot points that we should touch on here after um, all of this he finally apparently like this wasn't anything that was brought up earlier in the movie but it was a pretty big deal at the end of the movie that after all of these events like happened and he killed the main bad guy, he promises that he will testify about his experiences in the CIA. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. yes. He's just like sitting on the couch in his sister's house or his house or somewhere. Yeah. Talking to someone who's like, I'm going to testify against the CIA, and then the movie ends. And that was never brought up as, like, a point of contention, or... Okay, to be fair, that is that is actually more, like, story resolution and closure than the next, like, three movies are <laughs> going to give you. So, I can appreciate <laughs> what you have. Ahead a little bit. It's true. Like, like, if this were, you know, spoiler alert, um, marked for death, like, they just wouldn't even, like, that wouldn't come up at all. Nope. They would just spoil the plot <laughs> and move through it. So, this does at least have a bit of yeah. an outro, a bit of, you know, a post- Climax fall yes. in action, you know, three-act structure. I guess. Um, also, okay, so here's the thing. I want to, let's talk about, like, themes, I guess. Yeah, let's talk Can about talk about themes. What themes? Yeah. Um, let's talk about themes. And how they're, movie. like. Let's talk about these movies. Well, like, it pretends to have themes. It has all the aesthetics of a theme, but there is no actual theme. So, like, the reason that. Steven Seagal. I'm just going to call him Steven Seagal. His character name is Nico Toscani. Nico I'm not going to remember well, that. I think, he, I think all of his movies exist within the same universe, and he's just Steven in all of them. I have an idea about really? that, but we'll get to that when we get to the later movies. <laughs> so real quick, in every movie, I think Seagal's confused about what, what race he actually is in this movie. He thinks he's That's Italian. True. Yeah, okay, he thinks he's on. Italian. At least in this one, he, he isn't a terrible to be Italian. Accent. He's like a, a 
Midwestern Italian Catholic cop. I don't know. Um, but so the reason I will that... for for uh, sorry, I'm sorry, real quick for background, just going forward. Yes. So his mother is of Irish descent and his father was Jewish and he was born in Lansing, Michigan. His paternal grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants. Oh, okay. Um, in his first movie, he is Italian. Yes. He is an Italian living in Chicago. Yes. Okay. Because every movie, he's like a different race. So we're going to have to know this. Yeah. We need this background information. Okay. So Italian Steven Seagal. He leaves, he leaves the CIA because he sees a CIA agent who ranks higher than him torturing a, a prisoner during an interrogation. Like out in a hut in the middle of Vietnam, like out in the open. Right. Uh, but he sees him torturing him. So he just like runs away. Threatens to kill everybody, doesn't fire a single shot, <laughs> runs away, right. gets on a helicopter and flies away. And the CIA just like lets him. Um, but that's the reason he leaves. Mm-hmm. When yep. the same CIA agent, who I think his name, the Wikipedia page says his name is Zagon, because that's a human name. So when Zagon. Okay, than some later middle <laughs> names he When Zagon the interrogator comes back. Um, he is like Nico Toscani, Steven Seagal opposes him and opposes the CIA, not because of their mistreatment of prisoners of war or like enhanced interrogation techniques, if we're going to use the, the government term for it. Um, but because actually Zagon isn't doing something which is approved by the U.S. government. He is dealing drugs, which the government doesn't want him to do. So Nico Toscani, Steven Seagal, is not fighting Zagon because of the original inciting incident. The inciting incident actually has nothing to do with the rest of the plot of the movie. Until he agrees to testify. He beefs with Zagon. He is no, 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 but that's what Aaron's saying. He's tested, he's tested fine because he's involved in the drug trade. Yeah, he's fighting Zagon because Zagon is dealing drugs on the side, not because he's doing what the CIA has asked him to do. Oh, I didn't catch that. So they just doesn't even matter. No, in the opening scene, it's more, it's more, I mean, it's more like he's just generally testifying his beef with Zagon. Like, it's not like I don't even think he technically ties it to the drugs either. I think he's just kind of, it's it's a vague, we know Zagon's bad. So the implication he's testifying against just Zagon, this guy he doesn't. Yeah, but like, so in the end, like, the, I think the movie, like, attempts to present to the audience a theme of CIA bad. But what it actually says is this particular fictitious CIA agent is bad. Mm-hmm. Like because Steven Seagal leaves the CIA because he sees a CIA agent doing something which is presumably condoned by the CIA, but then the entire rest of the film, he is opposing that same agent, not because of the thing that happened at the inciting incident, not because he's continuing to do that thing, but because now he's doing a new unrelated thing <laughs> which the government is not asking him to do. So it's. It's another sort of sidestep. You're you're given to you're given to believe that this yeah, entire right. movie is based around one thing, when in reality, at the very end, they're like, "No, nah, not really." It's about really. a totally different thing. I mean, so he does when he leaves the CIA, he does become like I don't know if he's officially working for the DEA in this movie. I know he works for the DEA in half his movies, but he is investigating drug rings. Yeah. So I guess he's just like, "This is my thing now." I, he's on Vice I, I with was, Chicago people. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm, you know drugs are bad kids and K yeah. kind of guy now. That's my that's my 1980s. Just saying, no. I completely forgot about the whole yeah. beginning where he so, like threatens to shoot everybody doesn't fire a bullet walks yeah. away nobody and else shoots him like, get out of here because someone get else defends him and that we meet that guy later on too right the guy that defended him yeah up on the roof yeah yeah but i'm like just the the inciting incident of the film like the thing which defines toscani's character 
does not mm. play into the rest right. of the movie. Like, actually. Yeah. Like, aesthetically it does. Like, the film language tells you that this is what defines his character. But not really. But nothing else in the movie has anything to do with the actual with the actual content of what happens in the first ten minutes. That makes just about as much sense as leaving a covert operation in some other country and somehow getting a, a helicopter ride out of there and then yeah, he just going gets on a helicopter. Just leaving the CIA casual. I mean, yeah, both the implication of, like, he is... Like drawing guns on his superior officer and just allowed to leave the CIA. But even without that, just the fact that he's like, I'm done, and they just let you leave. Like, there's no kind of implication of a contract or, you know, requirement. Like, he's just like, oh, when I'm done, I'm done. Like, he doesn't have reams of paperwork about stuff he can't talk about. Um, Now, do you have any more thematic things you'd like to discuss? Because I have a bit of a segue. So there is this, uh, he talks about religion in this Mm. movie. Yeah. Specifically Catholicism. Kind of lightly touches on it. And like, um covert things that so this is actually a historical fact that the church would like catholic churches would hide and i'm sure other churches too but the catholic church kind of became famous for this like hiding immigrants in places and offering sanctuary and the actual so like the little like immigrant sanctuary they're running in the basement doesn't actually factor into anything either like the plot would not be changed if you take out the immigrants that wouldn't it wouldn't change at all I'm trying to think if there's any way it ties in. I because don't... it's no, just this particular right. priest heard a confession. So as far as the right. plot is concerned, it's just the fact that priests hear confessions and don't tell anybody what people say in confession. Like, yeah, I feel like I, re- I think I loosely remember them tr- like, you know, that, oh, make sure you don't tell anyone like, you know, that they could, you know, the people who are after this priest could come and hurt these families. But again, like they don't they aren't threatened like. No. The church itself is bombed, but it's not like, you know, he captures any of those. Yeah, the bombing of the church has that, nothing that, to the... do with the immigrants in the basement. No, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, if they cut that out, then we would be, you know, under the <laughs> the certified gold Paul Blart left of a movie. <laughs> we would be less than 90 minutes, so we got we to gotta hold on to that. Yeah, we would have lost 10 minutes of them worrying about the uh, Hispanic immigrants in the basement and like the three priests and two nuns who live down there with them. <laughs> Um, all right, so what I wanted to yes, kind of segue yeah, yeah, yeah. into a little one. First of all, he has a partner that dies in this movie. That's going to be a common theme. I'd actually be really <laughs> curious at some point when we go through here to determine the fastest like movie beginning to like requisite partner death that happens. Because <laughs> I think so far it's out for justice. I yeah yes. Yeah. I think it's that so far, but we can get on. We can touch on that later. But the re- reason I thought of this is because his partner, Detective Dolores Jax Jackson, is played by Pam Greer, who would later go on um, to be in many other movies, but you know, to be Jackie Brown in Jackie Brown, to have like actually a very illustrious so, um, film there are career a lot after of this. That so have been I wanted in to say that go on to have yeah, an illustrious that's film kind career. of a so thing. I. So I was segueing into, like, the they deserve better than this corner of things. Like, all the people who are in this movie, and they're like, oh, you, you deserve better than this. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, like, oh, you've got it. You've got an Emmy and a Golden Globe nomination. You deserve better than this. In fairness, they, they got better than this. They yeah. did, but still, at this time, in the time of this fiction, <laughs> in 80s, I'm like, you, you oh, but like, you're in this I think movie? We'll talk about this more later in the, in the other movies, but so many people in Steven Seagal movies end up being really famous and successful. Right. Actors and artists. So in this one, so in Above the Law, yeah. we have, as discussed, we have Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. We have Sharon Stone. That's yeah. a big one. And I'm sure there will be other names that I miss. Like, you know, if we don't mention them, it's not that they're not cool. It's not that they don't deserve the accolades. Just going, running through the list, you know, running through the credits, the names that jump out to me. Um, 
the one that actually that's this is not even necessarily the biggest name, but the funniest one to me is John C. Riley as an uncredited thug in bar. Really? <laughs> that John C. Riley, you know, Will Smith's comedic partner in yeah. crime, and who also low key, I think, uh, I'm waiting for. I'm predicting this. John C. Riley is like turned towards drama. I think he could actually kill it. We haven't seen much of it. I think if he steps out from under Will Smith's shadow, I think musical theater and drama he could excel at. Michael what we've seen so far. Oh, you, you you interrupt my John C. Riley face. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> do it again. I'm I just want John C. Riley to do well in life because so far he's been pretty good at comedy. But from what we've seen him do in musical theater, like in Chicago and in um uh uh Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story, he actually like really has like a stage and screen presence whenever it comes to like performing. And I think he I haven't I can't think of a role where he plays like, you know, more of the dramatic one. I think he has a dramatic I think he's got like, you know, that's kind of Robin Williams' late career, like, turn towards drama, like, you know, Goodwill Hunting moment, I think it's brewing. I think it's coming any day now. I can't find a screenshot so that's I, I genuinely John C. Riley. I, I missed him. Prove me right. Get, get that Oscar. Prove me right. Um, um, also yes, in this on, movie, as man at bar, Michael Rooker, who went on to play Yondu in Guardians Michael of the Galaxy. Michael Rooker was in this movie? Yeah. So that's... Yep. That's two Guardians of the Galaxy actors right there. John C. Riley and Michael Rooker met on set here, and then would later go on to join the MCU yep. in Guardians of the Galaxy. Would you look at that? I think, uh, and we'll talk about it. This comes up, I think, oh this is... He must be a curly Okay, hair. again, we're wa- we're reviewing this movie after having watched four, the first four Steven mm-hmm. Seagal films. But I think this is a theme that will come up again, and we'll talk about this a lot more in the other movies. Steven Seagal films have a way of being a stepping stone for people's much mm. more illustrious careers. It's kind of like the we we we'll, we'll need to call it. It's like the Seagal anti curse or something. Like if you're in a Seagal film, actually your career can only get better from then on. As out. His so like everybody actually, so like everybody else steals the like career force, like his Hollywood life energy, and then they go on to like you know feature in like Emmy and Oscar nominated and winning projects, and like you know make a name for themselves. the largest film star, like be a co star in the largest film franchise of all time. Yeah. I would actually like if we could put enough names to this that it kind of becomes almost like you know this typical Hollywood wisdom like oh if you're in this person's like acting class you're going to go on and be successful like mm-hmm. you know just, if you can get a bit part if you can be like an uncredited background <laughs> character in a Seagal film it's going to pop off for you. See, I don't I don't have a problem with that up until like maybe mid two thousands because after that they're just the, like straight to well, DVD. Okay, yeah, that garbage. might change. Oh yeah, that no, might only be a, true through the 90s. if you were in a pre nine eleven Steven Seagal that, movie. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in a not direct to video Steven Seagal, like, I don't know. We'll see. We may be wrong. I don't know. We'll have to see how this pans out. But so far, yeah. not jumping ahead too much. But four movies in, we got we got a real theory here. All right. So this is the they deserve better slash the anti Steven Skull. What's so? Curse. What's everybody's star ratings? Oh, okay. Star ratings and favorite quotes if you have one. Favorite slash least favorite quote if you have one. I don't have a favorite uh, quote. So I honestly can't first. remember anything of note from this but i gave it two stars Uh, only uh, knowing that it's going to go down so much further than i had to have Mm -hmm. like a solid baseline (laughs) i feel like that's too many stars but at the same time i know where we're headed it's a bit hard it's it's a bit hard because like most movies i kind of try to keep in some frame of reference of like the best movie i can think of in the world you know these are on their own little scale. I'm just they're on a scale of other Seagal movies. Like I need to make sure I have enough room to go down without going too high on any of these. So mine, we'll let Aaron go last because his is the standout one. <laughs> his is a bit unique. So my favorite quotes is probably when 
Toscani is told that he is number four on the most wanted list. And he says, number four, I want to be number one. <laughs> I think that's pretty, pretty classic Seagal. Or when he, I don't, it's it whenever like he's, it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's like badge and gun. It's like the FBI guys telling him like, you know, you're causing too much trouble. Like, you know, you're, you're, you know, put paperwork on my desk. Yeah. And he's, he's like in the police precinct. I, I forget. He, he was kind of getting reamed out. Mm-hmm. But when he says number four, I want to be number one. Um, because I, I think that's just the most like straightforward. Like again, a seventeen-year-old in the nineteen eighties probably thought that was like pretty cool. Probably like, you know, <laughs> yeah, look at that. Oh, it's oh yeah. Or, or of course, just the very ending. You guys, you guys think you're above the law? Well, you ain't above mine. The Flip title everybody on their head. Got to give props that one. Mm-hmm. So that the best slash worst quotes in that movie. Um, my letterbox review again. This. Not trying to cause too much whiplash here because I've been weirdly positive to this movie. One and a half out of five stars. Now let's be clear. <laughs> Again, a bit hard because this is the first one. I want to make sure I have enough room to go down. But I could not. I looked at other movies. I gave two stars recently and I could not yeah, you've been, You have been weirdly positive about this movie. Let's be clear. This was a sh- movie. This is a terrible film. <laughs> Unless you were Aaron's father in the 1980s. I, yeah, if you were a 17-year-old boy in the 1980s. I guess there's, I mean, there's always going to be a different reference, a different frame of reference, and that's that's perfectly fair. I can yeah, absolutely honestly. understand that. To me, but, right now, watching this movie, knowing what I know about this man and about his career, <laughs> terrible yeah. movie. So what does the son of Aaron's father give this movie? Um. So... I gave this movie, my Letterboxd review, gave it three and a half stars. That's way too many. That's too many stars. Oh, that's so many. (laughs) So I've been weirdly negative on this movie this whole time, and then I gave it three and a half stars, which I'm like looking at all my Letterboxd reviews. I gave it half a star more than I gave to 3,000 Years of Longing. And only half a star less than I did to Glass Onion. That, oh. Um, there's something so, wrong with oh, that. That's way too many stars. Which I'm realizing, I think I was just having a really good day when I watched this can movie. We, <laughs> you can did we, put it here. Can we convince you to, can we convince you to drop this to three stars? Can we oh, I'm not, I don't want to convince you to change anything. I do. I do. I 100% do. If I can convince you of one thing. Honestly, you, you know what? Those three and a half stars do make a little more sense because when I'm reading your review, I, I remember reading this the first time I read it, but at the very end, the best way to experience this movie is we're with nowhere to be in the morning and an entire bottle of wine that you don't like much. So what I'm hearing is at least at, at least one or one and a half of these stars are for the bottle of wine you drank, not the movie itself. It was really good French Bordeaux. It was. It, it, you can't say okay. it was really good French Bordeaux. You put in your review a bottle of wine wine that you don't much like but somehow have way too much of oh no because it was a merlot that's what it was <laughs> i drank the bordeaux during hard to kill so he said oh it's good wine it's not good wine and he said oh it's a bad movie and then he, so he loved when the you drink bad wine that you're not a fan of but you have too much of you rate something really high but but i won't give away the star rating but when you were drinking good wine you rated hard to kill very poorly <laughs> Well, so I there's no law against it, Aaron. Can you please knock off just half a star? <laughs> you know, I won't I tell stand, anyone. That's what I that's what I thought of it immediately after I watched. Okay, it. reactions. All right, you can't win. Them I all. can respect that. Got reactions. Fire them from the hip. Blam. Okay. It might have been Anything a bad review, but I stand on. by it. Okay, that's good. That's the Seagal method. Anything else we need to touch on before we end this one? <laughs>
I don't um, think so. I think that was above the law. We, a Steven Seagal it, film. <laughs> you and I watched these. We watched Above the Law and Hard to Kill back to back in one day. And I remember getting up from this one thinking, man, we have to, we have a whole other one of these to go today. <laughs> like, I had a whole four. That was rough. Of these to go all year. <laughs> we were having a good time. It, it, it was, was like pretty some, hard to work. Uh, MST3K commentary going on, but man, that oh. that was a rough watch, watching experience. If we like were at the theater and there's an intermission and then a second movie, it'd be really hard to convince myself to stay in that theater for this like you know double feature. All right. And you can catch the second half of this double feature in the next episode of, what was the name? Uh, Steven C. It All. Steven C. It All. <laughs> that means one of us has to die.